0: This week on Art in the Air, we explore the life and musical journey of the Canadian Board Music Director and Conductor for the Northwest Indiana Symphony, Maestro Kirk Muspratt, now in his 20th season. Next, we speak with fine jewelry artist from India to the USA, Stephen Sheik. Our spotlight is with Carol Estes for Diversified Artist Visionaries November Exhibit at Wild Rose Brewery.
1: Express yourself through art And show the world your heart Express yourself through art And show the world your heart you're in the know with esther and mary art on the air today stay in the know with mary and esther art on the air our way express yourself art and show the world your heart express yourself art and show the world your heart
0: Welcome, you're listening to Art on the Air on WVLP 103.1 FM and Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, our weekly program covering arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City.
2: Aloha, everyone.
0: We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art in the Air streams live at wvlp.org and is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Plus is also heard on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM every Sunday at 7 p.m. Also streaming live at lakeshorepublicradio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Information about Art in the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash A-O-T-A. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash A-O-T-A. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. I'd like to welcome to Art in the Air Spotlight, someone who's been on our show for various other things, but she's going to represent a different group. That's Carol Estes. She's going to talk about the group, uh, well, it's nicknamed Dave, and she's going to explain the whole title, how it's changed from uh, strictly a dire based thing to now something more. And they've got an upcoming call for art for exhibit that's going to be at the Wild Rose Brewing Company. And tell us a little bit about the history. Carol, welcome back to Art in the Air Spotlight.
2: I
3: love well, that, Carol. thank you for having me back. Uh, uh, the uh, The group is a nonprofit group, and it started in 2012 as the Dyer arts visionaries. And it was uh, based out of Dyer, and it was designed to connect the art and artists with the, day, the um, Dyer community in Indiana. And then as uh, the membership grew, uh, so did our vision for exhibiting and going outside that area. So now uh, we be, uh, have uh, changed our name to uh, Diversified Art Visionaries, and we can be found at diversifiedartvisionaries.org. And uh, we're basically consider ourselves like a collaboration of artists that um, present uh, exhibits and shows. And uh, we're always looking for new venues to uh, exhibit and do. But uh, that's uh, basically what we do. And we love to uh, share our visions with the communities in the area.
0: So how many members do you have in uh, Dave?
3: Uh, we, we have probably uh, about 25 or 30. Uh, the membership does change, uh, flex in and out. Uh, but it's been a little difficult with, uh, with COVID and, um, but, uh, we have about that many active, uh, members that uh, represent, uh, Michigan, Indiana, Northwest Indiana, and, uh, Illinois. So we cover a a good uh, area of of the art space, and we're always encouraging people to uh, look us up and see what we do and uh, join our group.
2: So you have a call to artist out for this next show that's going to be at the um, Wild Rose Brewing Company, and it's called Nothing in Return. Can you, one, I would love to know if the the submission date passed and you explain what you're looking for.
3: Yeah, uh, Dave started a number of years ago with the triptych show, and uh, uh, we have in the past submitted uh, and ha- held our shows at a Paul Henry Art Gallery in Hammond, Promise You Art House in Highland, and the Sip Two in Highland. And what the what our triptych shows are three words. This year, it's the phrase "nothing in return," and also uh, Dave has moved the venue all under one roof, So all three parts of the triptych show are at the uh, wild Rose brewing company. So basically what it is for the call for art is that we encourage artists to broadly explore and connect to the, uh, the words that we have and try to use their vision and using the word nothing, the word in and in the word return. And, um, our call for art, all the details are on our uh, Dave Facebook page. And uh, the submissions are open to any uh, local artists. And uh, the details of, of submission are on the Facebook page. And the submissions uh, are open through October 29th. There is a cost for submission, but um, we... And what is that? Uh, there is, you know, uh, there is a member and non-member submission uh, fee. So I'd like people to go to the Facebook page so that it doesn't get confusing, but there's a uh, price per piece that you can do. And I believe you can submit up to three pieces into each of the three categories. And um, the show does open November 13th. Uh, our venue is at Wild Rose uh, Brewing in uh, Griffith, Indiana. It's one of our favorite um uh, venues. And uh, it's a beautiful space and large uh, ceiling, and it just houses art really well. And you'll be able to uh, see the exhibit, which opens uh, November 13th. Submissions are uh, open and available to the artists through October 29th.
0: And how do you this submit?
3: Is, you uh, There is a Facebook page uh, for the, uh, the uh, Dave group. And in it, there is a call for art uh, listed on our Facebook page. Uh, You can also uh, email me at carol46350 at gmail.com. I'll be happy to give you the link if you can't find it because sometimes people have a a tough time finding things on Facebook. And we have a Google form and that Google form uh, uh, allows you to fill out all the details and ask for everything that uh, is needed. And then you submit through and, uh, there is a, uh, a juring process, uh, that is inside Dave that will, uh, go through to, um, um, the pieces for the show. And we do have a juror. So, uh, the juror, when the, when the, uh, uh, show is installed, we do have a juror that's going to come and, uh, select some of the top pieces.
0: So the juror is actually, uh, coming in to do the awards, uh, more or less yes. not, not selecting the show pieces.
3: No, uh, there is a, uh, there will be a minor uh, vetting of some of the art just to make sure that it's uh, family friendly and 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 meets uh, just some minimum standards because we're going into a public space and and uh, a brewery and uh, Corey Hegelberg which is an adjunct uh, faculty member at Indiana University Northwest he will be a juror and uh, he's also the co-founder of the Calumet excuse me the Calumet artist residency and their mission is Uh, to connect the artists with uh, the community. And so uh, we're anxious for him to come in and uh, he will be uh, putting together some monetary awards. Uh, He will be selecting uh, uh, what his uh, top favorite in each of the single categories of Nothing, In and Return. And then he will also um, uh, go through and make his choice of uh, the top art piece that he feels maybe most represents the um, uh, most represents the uh, exhibit and the theme.
0: Well, we appreciate you coming on uh, Art in the Air Spotlight, Carol Esses, representing Dave the Your Side Artists Visionaries. And you can submit your art uh, by going online and find out information on Facebook. Carol, thank you so much for being on Art in the Air Spotlight.
2: Thank, thank you, you, Carol.
0: You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. And we'd like to welcome to Art on the Air, a native of Crow's Nest Pass, Alberta, Canada. Today's guest has had his early training as a pianist. Then after leaving Alberta, he studied in St. Louis, New York, and now is recognized as one of the outstanding figures in a new generation of conductors. He has garnered international critical acclaim as a born opera conductor, serving as music director and conductor for the New Philharmonic and DuPage Opera Theater, and of course, for the Northwest Indiana Symphony Orchestra, please welcome to Art in the Air Maestro, Kirk Muspratt.
4: Hi, Larry. Hi, Esther.
0: Hi, glad to have you on. Well, what we like to start off, Kirk, is talking about your background, kind of like your origin story. I always like to say how you got from where you were. Yeah to where you are now. So tell us a little about yourself.
4: Uh, I'll try to do it quickly because it's kind of a long story. So <laughs> I grew up in a little coal mining village called the Crossness Pass in the Alberta Rocky Mountains. Uh, I was a very fortunate human being and the god set me down in that place at that time because I lived around all immigrants, whether you're Polish, you're Czech, you're Scottish, you're Ukrainian, you're French, you're Italian. Everybody cooked their own food. There was an Italian hall. There was a Polish hall. There was the, you name it. Oh, of course, the Elks Hall, the Moose Hall, the Lions (laughs) Lake, all that stuff. And everybody worked in the mine. My grandpa worked in the mine. My uncles worked in the mine. My dad worked in the mine. Everybody. And yet they brought their music along with their food and their culture with them. So, you know, a thing like Dvorak is very normal in my little town. Not now, but then. A thing like Puccini in my town or Verdi was very normal in my town. And every kid, I'm talking about every one of my little neighbors. I was in the biggest graduating class in the history of Krozen Pass High. We had a hundred kids in my graduating class, but I think 90 of them all had piano lessons. It was just normal. It's sort of like you went skating and played hockey, you know, when you, you know, and it snowed in the Crozeness Pass. And you also studied music. So the thing I'm preaching to you, Larry and Esther, as I tell you about my background, is environment is everything. If you grew up in a place where there's hockey and music, you will play hockey at some <laughs> level. And, and by the way, the coach of the coach of the Blackhawks, Jeremy, played hockey in the Curse in his past. That's where he played his high school hockey. So he's going to become some kind of hockey dude, right? And about eight or nine of us in my graduating class of 100 went on to become musicians. So, you know, you look at a class of 100 kids anywhere That's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. So if it was a chemistry, huge chemistry lab in the school, which we didn't have, we just had sinks and a little beaker, (laughs) then you would have become a chemist. And so I was very lucky to grow up there. And that's my long statement on environment.
2: So was there a piano in the home from birth on?
4: Yeah, thanks, Esther. My mom, uh, as soon as she started teaching, she bought a piano and put it in the middle of my grandfather's front room because there was no other room. (laughs) But she wanted music. So my first memory of music is actually playing on my grandfather's rug. He lived just across the alley from us. And I had my trucks and I was playing on his paisley rug in the front room and looking up at my brother playing hymns. My older brother, he played hymns. And I couldn't figure out what the pedals were doing. I thought the right one was the gas pedal, <laughs> on the piano because that was I saw him doing stuff. And I and my mother used to put me in there because she said if I was in there with Jimmy, I wouldn't go anywhere. I'd just sit there for a couple hours at a time and just like sort of watch him and listen to him.
2: Do you remember that first? Do you remember that first experience of your fingers yeah. on the keys? What was that like? Did it
4: my My first memory of fingers on keys. Did you you take
2: to it right away? Did it feel natural? Mm -hmm.
4: Uh, Well, my mother figured out early on because when she put me around Mrs. McKinnon on the porch, like half a block away, and she said, Mary, uh, will you watch Kirk? Because they actually had a dog leash on my clothesline in our backyard (laughs) because couldn't keep me in the yard. I would be running downtown to the trains where all the coal cars were. And I, my, it's like a mile away. And my mother would have to go chasing all over. But she found out that if she put me somewhere with a neighbor who played the piano, like Mrs. McKinnon, I would just sit on the veranda for 45 minutes. My mom could go downtown, go her shopping down, come back. And Mary would say, he just sat there like an angel. And I was not an angel. I was a little wild cougar dude. <laughs> so she out, and on my first day of school, my mom picked me up from grade one, and I told her she was going the wrong way to our house. And she said, oh, no, you're going to your piano lesson. And I, I said, well, what's that? You know, I didn't know. But right away, Mrs., my teacher, Mrs. Pinkney, and by the middle of grade one, I was playing the national anthem for each class in the school. And because there was, a, there used to be a piano, believe it or not, in classrooms, you know. So I would go from grade one to grade two to grade three, and I would play O Canada by November or something. So I guess God gave me some kind of natural, and I liked it because I was good at it, kind of, you know. I'm not going to play for the Lakers. You know, I play okay basketball, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you gravitate to what you're good for. Yes, Maybe- and
2: all that positive feedback makes you want to keep trying.
4: Oh yeah. And you get to get dressed up and there's little social things where there's pie and cake and cookies and donuts at your teacher's house. And then you get to miss school like, or the music festival, like all state or something. And then you get a trophy. And then your pictures in the paper and you win $5 and it's all important to a kid. You sure. know what I mean? You get a trophy. Okay. I'll practice a little bit. You know,
0: so the piano was your starting instrument. Did you try any other instruments along the your path?
4: Yeah, thank you, Larry. So here's the Crow's Nest Pass for you. Um, in grade five, we don't have – the place is very small, okay? So there's no school music. But on Wednesday night at the high school, there's the Crow's Nest Pass Symphony, which is the second oldest orchestra in all of Canada. Wow. And what it's made up of is a bunch of adults who are usually, well, ninety percent non-professional. And you sit next to an adult on Wednesday night. And so, in grade five, uh, somebody came to our school and said um, you all, "Most of you play the piano. What other instrument do you want to play?" I'm like what? <laughs> I don't know. It's in the middle of his spelling class or something. And so I thought this thing that had the three valves on it was a trombone, and so I said I want a trombone because I thought it was very cool, you know. And uh, then well, I don't know three or four weeks later, this the man comes to my house, the man at the hardware store, and then he opens up this trombone on my kitchen floor with my mother, and I said that's not that that's not a well, I, I was just confused because obviously I said trombone and I meant trumpet. But then what happens on Wednesday night is you go over to the high school and you sit next to an adult, and I have no knowledge of how I learned to play the trombone. I don't have any idea. And then on Thursday night, there's the Crow's Nest Pass Band. So you go across the street and you play in the Crow's Nest Pass Band. It's probably a way that your parents can get rid of you for two hours. <laughs> it's absolutely calculated with hockey practices. So. Often I would show up later in my life in my sweaty hockey uniform, playing trombone for an hour and 45 minutes on Wednesday and Thursday nights. And I would go to my piano lessons, too, in my sweaty hockey uniform.
0: Did you miss the opportunity of not doing trumpet as opposed to trombone?
4: Oh, no. I don't know if you know my face, but I have very thick lips. So God protected me somehow (laughs) by... You're a stupid moron. There's no way. Like, I could never play the French horn of the trumpet. Are you kidding? You need a really skinny embouchure. Mm -hmm. So, trombone is fine for me. And I have to tell you a secret. Now, I know we're going to get flack about this, but trombone is much easier than trumpet. I got to tell you, it's like first position, second position, third position. You know, kind of, you know, I don't want to say a monkey could play a trombone, but (laughs) if you're, you know, sort of not a very, Focused teenager, when you're 12 or 13, you can go to band and orchestra and sit next you know and survive. Right. Play trumpet. You know, it's a, it's more of a star-studded instrument. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Being a trumpet player, I understand that you know you have a lot of yeah. f- a lot of fingerings <laughs> that uh, you know, pretty, yeah, pretty pretty rusty on that too. So it's a uh, I picked yeah. that up uh, from that. So yeah, and trombone, of course, is the loud, loudest instrument usually in an orchestra or a band. So
4: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So you did that, like uh, middle school, high school, and uh, what was your early career uh, thoughts? And what, were you thinking going into music, or were you thinking other things?
4: Well, when you grow up in the Crozos Pass, because you don't go anywhere, there's no city around there. Pincher Creek is the next closest place. That's 30 miles away, and they had 5,000 people there, Okay, and they had two gas stations. Then Fort McLeod is 60 miles away. They have three gas stations, and they have an A&W okay? You, they, I didn't have television. We had one channel, CBC, but only when I got a teenager, and that's, you have no clue. I mean, I was so naive and so beautifully protected from anything in the world, all over. So snow, hockey, your friends, music, school, beautiful mountains, nothing else. I was, nothing bad. Nothing bad at all. No violence, no anything terrible. So then these, uh, when you had me on for seven hours, I'll tell you Larry and Esther, but uh, I went to St. Louis to study for a year because I'd skipped a grade. My mom didn't want me to go to university. I was not a good candidate to go to a dorm <laughs> with a bunch of boys, you know, bad, 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 bad things. I would have been a bad uh, citizen, in a, you know, at that age. And then I went to New York, to Juilliard for a year, And then I transferred to Temple University in Philadelphia. And then I went to school in Vienna for conducting. And then I worked in Germany for two years. And then I went to St. Louis to work for the St. Louis Symphony for three years. Then I went to the Utah Symphony to work for two years. Then I went to Pittsburgh to work for the Pittsburgh Symphony for five years. And now I end up in Chicago, Indiana. So it's a very... You know, those things in life where you go, I don't really know. It's like getting on the airplane. You don't really know what's going on, but you're in the seat. You know, it's
1: like,
4: <laughs> okay. You know, I go to a Blackhawks game once or twice a year. and well, they it's
2: all, all one game. big great adventure anyway.
4: Yeah. I, I never would believe that I would have ever ended up in Chicago with my favorite hockey ever. It's just like, huh? And I'm still that way. I'm like, what? I, you know, I live downtown in Chicago. No, 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 no. This is some kind of interesting dream.
0: So, you studied at Juilliard, got to Chicago, and then what uh, attracted you to uh, some of the uh, orchestras that you were involved with before you got to Northwest Indiana?
4: Well, you get a call on the phone in München Gladbach, Germany at two o'clock in the morning, and they say, Somebody saw you at the Aspen Music Festival. Would you like to come audition for the assistant conductor job at St. Louis? And of course, you know, it's one of your friends playing some silly joke on
1: it. you're in <laughs> Munchen
4: Gladbach, you know, and you're 28 years old. And why would one of the great orchestras be calling you, you know? So it's just, you know, like in all of our lives, something happens where somebody sees you, you get a break. And then often the other thing happens where you should have had a break and somebody should have seen you and it didn't happen. So at that stage in life and then you know people saw me in st louis and they needed somebody in utah it was a bigger job somebody saw me in utah and pittsburgh wanted uh it was a bigger job with more pay with more conducting it, pittsburgh a bigger orchestra sure you know and so who knows i think it's just god sort of and the cosmos throwing kirk around a little bit like here go here you know you're on the voyage like columbus and the Maria, the Pinta, and you're just, okay, you'll end up in the new world. Not sure how to describe that.
0: Yeah, the analogy I sometimes, a lot of times people look at their life journey as a roadway, and I said it's more like a river, and you yeah. get kind of pulled along, and sometimes you end up on a bank where you never plan to stop, you know, and, and then you whatever skills you have, you pull out and start doing them. So I think that's sometimes a good analogy. So Yeah, because
4: I never wanted to be a conductor. I never thought about it, actually. It just something happened one day in philadelphia i woke up on my girlfriend's couch and i thought you know this summer i'm going to improve my tennis game i want to learn a little bit about karate i want to learn i used to read 50 books every summer and i want to learn a little bit of latin and you know what it would be good for me to go and learn something about conducting i'll just go get some books and learn about it to be a better musician
1: right. and never
4: knowing that that whole other four-hour show that you'll do with me someday would lead to this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Because uh, I, I never thought about it. it. was like if you said, Larry, uh, two years from now, you're going to dance in the Bolshoi, okay? Right. And you go, huh? And if you'd said to me R- a year before I started learning to conduct, oh, you want to be a conductor, I'd say, are you crazy? I, you know, I can't play for the Red Sox, and I don't know anything about conducting, and I'm not interested in it. But as you said, the river and the bank. Right.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, so did you do the karate? Because I was going to ask you, do you enjoy dancing? Because conducting conductors always seem like dancers to me. Mm-hmm. And um, as a young child listening to the orchestra, my ear would be pulled maybe to a musician when I heard something particularly exquisite, but other than that, I was fascinated by the conductor and what did those movements mean and what was the response to the orchestra? I was always trying to figure that out. Can you describe the process of learning that language? And um, and then at one point, are you confident enough to create your own unique visual language within an orchestra and how do you communicate that to them? my long question.
4: <laughs> no, a very fascinating question and something that a normal person like me, like I thought conducting was easy. I just saw this guy up there waving his arms and he had weird hair, whoever he was. And, stuff <laughs> like. and I thought this is so much easier than practicing the piano eight hours a day. All you do is you learn like a couple patterns and then you go bigger or smaller and then you tell people what they did wrong. And then you look really cool. And everybody claps for you. And it's actually one of the reasons that there are so few great and wonderful conductors in the world is that it is incredibly hard. And we can attribute this to, you know, we can say, well, it looks like it's easy to be Johnny Carson, but the homework that the guy did, or it's easy to be Robin Williams and do a routine, the number of hours he spent, or it's easy to be Sophie and Sophie's Choice. Well, okay. The prep and the technique that Meryl Streep needs for that role as compared to French lieutenants women or uh, the devil wears Prada, the the amount of work and technique she needs to own to be able to pull that off and have us believe her. And it's the same, I mean, what you do with your right hand, how you hold the baton, where your hand is in relation to your body, where it is in relation to the section you're looking at how your eyes are, how your eyebrows are, how the attitude of your body to the orchestra. Is it oblique? Is it at 45 degrees? Is it straight on? Are your feet planted uh, akimbo or are they together? Are you on your toes or are you hunched over? All of that stuff will help or assist or encourage a clarinet player, a snare drum player, a viola player to play a certain way. And there's a magic in it, because mm-hmm. when you do a really hard piece, that's going at 140 to a quarter. How do you keep that clarinet player, that trumpet player, that cello player, and that timpani player? I'm not talking about kind of together. I'm talking yeah. that, And to play the sforzando, or the accent that's on beat four, and how you are already thinking about that five beats before. So what happens is, as you know, Esther, You're hearing the music and you're listening for what you can improve. You're thinking ahead, five notes, seven notes, eight bars, something in your head, but you're beating in the moment. You
2: you know, Kirk, you can see when the orchestra is engaged with the conductor, because obviously hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours go into rehearsal, and it becomes kind of rote. And if you don't have that connection with the conductor, you're not going to get that excitement that you want from the performance. And that's what I love to watch. I mean, you can see when the orchestra is spot on engaged with the conductor.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a, a very much a psychological thing, how you approach the podium, what words you use. Do you say something or do you ask a question? Um, how much time you take before you start? How you end a piece? All of it is, as you said, Esther, it's like a dance. It is like a dance and it's a very particular dance.
2: So um, so how do you then? how do you riff on everything that you've learned? How do you develop your unique visual language?
4: Uh, It takes a long time, and I think some of it is like any of us. Um, If you watch, I I, I don't know, name a comedian, uh, Richard Pryor. Who learned things from Richard Pryor, you know, about blah, blah, blah. How do you learn about hockey? So you watch Mario Lemieux play for the Penguins, and now, you know, if you watch those games, he looks like he's in slow motion, you know. Richard Pryor's comedy might not work today, but all the people that learn from him. So you watch the great people. And of course, it. some of it's just you have to intuit it because I never spend one minute moving my hands at home or anything like that. You learn a technique in Vienna. They taught us how to conduct, how to use your thumb, how to use your finger, how to use your wrist, how to use your left hand, how to use your head, how to use your chest, all this stuff. And it becomes a technique. Like acting class. My
0: Here's... question, uh, Kirk, is because uh, we're getting down to about the last three minutes here. Is what brought yeah. you to Northwest Indiana? And of course, there's a couple of anniversaries coming up uh, with your yep. upcoming season. So let's uh, talk about those two things. First so what brought you to the symphony in Northwest Indiana? And you know, you've got a special anniversary for yourself and for the symphony itself.
4: Thanks, Larry. Yeah, uh, I was like one of those, uh, as we say in German, Zukunft, like just, you know, what happened? <laughs> I'm sitting at my desk in Pittsburgh one day and I get a call from Indiana. People had seen you, had talked about you. Would you like to come and audition for the North Coast Indiana Symphony Orchestra? And I was like, uh, yeah, okay, you know? And I don't know if I'd ever been in Indiana before unless I was driving through it. So, you know, I had to do some homework on this, like, Crossroads of America, you know. I mean, I knew about IU and stuff. So, yeah, it's going to be my 20th anniversary. It's very special to me, of course. I've made so many friends uh, on a human level, on a musical level over there. It's been my home. Um, uh, We've gone through a great deal, you know, just like in the last year and a half together. And so I'm looking back forward to being in person, of course, and all the beauty and... You know, when I think about the orchestra, Larry and Esther, 80 years, uh, when we do our concert on December 7th, it will be exactly 80 years, Pearl Harbor Day, since the first day of the orchestra. And that in Gary, the people in charge decided to have the concert that night after they had learned what happened uh, you know, at Pearl Harbor that morning. And, and Gary was um, so instrumental in the war, so instrumental in the future of America, still is and and uh we're going to start the concert with uh the star Spangled banner
0: well that's appropriate well we just have a couple moments here left uh, so i just wanted to say that the holiday pops concert uh you have three performances december 7th 9th and 10th living hope church and then you also have uh, other things in the season quickly in the last 30 seconds here tell us about what you have planned for the rest of the season
4: yeah, so there's a concert. Uh, the next concert is called Rock and Blue. It's Rachmaninoff and Rhapsody in Blue. It's a crossover concert as it has uh, Rachmaninoff and Gershwin and Copeland, but it also has Horner and John Williams. Uh, there's a wonderful Anne Frank concert that um, our chorus director, our amazing Nancy Menk, is putting together. And the piece is about the di- Diary of Anne Frank. We're gonna do a Movies concert later in May. Which has, uh, well, you name it, Independence Day, Captain America, Die Hard, you know, stuff like that. And then we're going to do a sort of, you know, a rock and roll show, but uh, looking back at James Taylor, Carol King, Jim Croce, uh, Gordon Lightfoot, Canadian, hello. Um, yeah, we're going to do that. So hopefully, something for everybody, Larry.
0: That's great. Well, that's uh, Kirk Musrat, the maestro from the Northwest Indiana Symphony Orchestra, also the New Philharmonic and DuPage Opera Theater. Uh, thank you so much for coming on Art of the Air, and you can find out more about uh, the symphony online at uh, northwestindianasymphony.org. Thank you, Kirk, for coming on yes, Art on the it was Air.
2: fabulous. Thank you. Thank you,
4: Larry and Esther. Have a great weekend. You as well.
0: You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP, 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM. We'd like to welcome to Art in the Air. He has a deeply personal interpretation of art. His family, uh, their background was making articles for the Catholic Church that includes silversmithing, metalworking, stone carving, and so forth. Came to the United States from India and inspired a whole jewelry collection that's very creative. Please welcome to Art in the Air, Stephen Shake. Welcome.
2: Stephen, hello.
0: Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. Well, Stephen, we like to always start off like with your background, how you got, like I said, how you got from where you were. To where you are now, growing up, everything. So tell us your story.
5: Well, what what happened was my uh, my 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 dad was a Catholic and my mom was a Muslim, and so uh, uh, they they, they were, uh, both of them were from South India and we settled in a town called Pune, which is in central India. And so I uh, I grew up with my dad's, uh, you know, I was very interested in my dad's side of the family, and of course, you know, I interacted with both side of the family, but. I was fascinated by my dad's side of the family. so And they made church articles for, you know, for, uh, you know, for the Catholic church in uh, you know, chalices and, you know, tabernacles and all of that. And so I went there and, you know, I used to watch and I, still, I learned almost everything, uh, including, you know, metalsmithing, silversmithing and, you know, what you call stone carving and stuff like that. The thing is that I was a very curious uh, child. So I actually delved into. Actually, I started sculpting uh, Jesus Christ faces on chalk when I was six years old. So, that, so I, I I was just like I just wanted to do everything in art. It was just my passion. And but uh, people thought I was crazy. But you know, <laughs> you know, they always think you're crazy. So um, then uh, I actually wanted to join arts uh, in college, and. Unfortunately, my dad said, no, that you're going to do business. And I I actually uh, finished a degree in uh, in business. But uh, I never, ever thought that I will actually get into art. So I did like, you know, just to to let my creative juices flow, I actually uh, made wall clocks uh, in India. Then I made, uh, what do you call, uh, other stuff, uh, you know, like um, I was actually uh, into clothing, Making uh, really funky clothing in India, <laughs> and yeah, and then I used to also do freelance interior decorations for a lot of my friends. Uh, so it was like I tried to do something in art even there, but you know, societal uh, pressure of getting married was brought. What what was what really brought me to the United States, and it actually changed the way I look at everything. So what happened was, you know, many girls were introduced to me, and because of my mixed religion. I was considered sort of like not pure enough for either of the religions. So I ended up actually my, I almost became a Catholic priest, almost. (laughs) Yeah. And so my sister, uh, who lives in South Bend, uh, she said, nah, she said, you are not made up to be a priest. (laughs) So she, yeah. So she advertised uh, here uh, in the United States, uh, you know, through the Christian Singles magazine there where there was no internet and, uh, you know, uh, wrote, uh, you know, uh, I received like six letters from six different uh, uh, ladies from all over the United States. And my sister said she liked my wife, Susan. And really she was the one who I liked. And we ended up writing to each other for three months. Then she called me and I just knew this was the girl. And then uh, six months later, she flew to India. Third day after I met her, I proposed to her. Uh, And 10 days later, we got married. Yeah, so that was uh, almost-
2: Stephen, if it's not too personal, what was that first letter like? Oh, that
5: uh, introduction letter. I actually have all of those letters. I've saved all of those. I have a suitcase full of letters we wrote to each other. (laughs) So I'm gonna publish that sometime. Then I actually became a poet after that, after I met Susan. I had never written poetry and I start writing poetry to her. So yeah, I I think what happened was I do believe that God works in a strange ways to bring people together and even meeting you and uh, meeting Larry today, I think it, it's a uh, God has certain plan. I don't know what it is, or if you don't believe in God, it is uh, the universe. And so I've always believed that there's always something to it. And so I believe that Susan was made for me and I don't know if Susan will agree, but I was made for her. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so. Yeah, so well, I can I, attest
2: you both are so sweet together and I can also attest yeah. to the fact that you're you have an insatiable curiosity because I've been to a bookstore with you and you are just all over the place in that bookstore just wanting to soak it all up so
5: <laughs> now, <laughs> talking about books actually that was my first passion and so uh, people again thought I was crazy because anytime you see me in india walking I would have a book uh, at my face, walking, even cycling. That was how crazy I was on books. Oh. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got into an accident because of that and break with my face. So after that, I stopped reading on the on the bicycle. <laughs> so, but after I came to the United States, uh, uh, you know, uh, what happened was I started making some of the stuff. You know, like what I had learned. I did carve some boxes and stuff like that. When a child was born in two thousand. We decided to do some, to, so you know, uh, you know that Susan can stay at home. I said I'll make some of this stuff, which I know, and hopefully, you know, sell. And uh, what happened was when we started at craft shows, and people, you know, uh, they would some of the men would come and say, "Oh, I can do that with a Dremel," and I would like look at them, you know, like totally, I could not comprehend what they were saying because you could not do some of the work I was doing on a Dremel. So, and but the jewelry the women would just go like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. So, so then beautiful. within two years, I decided, okay, I'll just do jewelry. And Susan actually, see, I wanted to do like my sculptures. I wanted to do painting. And Susan said, stop, you need to stop. And she said, you are doing jewelry. That's it. And so she put the <laughs> focus, foot down.
2: Focus. <laughs>
5: yes, yes. And so, and that is what happened. And that is how my journey started in making jewelry. And so does that sort of give you a shot from... Uh, answer yeah, well, of what it, I uh, go ahead
2: yeah yeah. I mean I think that so I don't know if you want to can you describe what it was like a day learning like did you learn the craft with your family or it I was mean, the people
5: it was the people who were employed and I used to sit with them and they used to teach me they liked me and so uh, you know now soldering in India was done very differently So, uh, so basically what happened was it is much more almost everything almost everything is done by hand so there are very few machines used so for me when I came here it was so much easier because there were so many machines available here and tools available which we did not have in India and especially when I was younger there was no tools even when I left India at that time the only tool we believe it or not we had was actually a a circular saw (laughs) That was the first tool which came, and drill. So a, a drill and a circular, saw so were the two tools which came, and that was when I was about to leave India. <laughs> so we didn't have any power tools. Yeah. Yeah, I so, know. It's, uh, a, it's a
2: very different experience to go and buy wire and to make wire or yes. to pour your own metals um, into ingot form and then flatten it out. I mean, it's it really is a whole different experience. And when you start from there, I mean, oh, my gosh, you are you can do anything.
5: E- e- and, and that's what it is, uh, and especially like, uh, how do I say, uh, now I had never learned uh, carving silver or any metal, but because I've done all of this, uh, somebody uh, wanted me to uh, do a, a carving, carved piece and actually just did last, piece. The only, I need to take pictures, I keep on forgetting to take pictures, so I did that without any uh, practice. I Means and it is God, and I do believe you know, when I was young, uh, I used to think it is me and, and it's your ego telling you that, but as you grow older, you know, you realize that it is God's gift to you, or you know, the universe's gift to you because whatever you do, and again, again, it's your ego which stops you from accepting that fact.
2: Well, the, the rich culture, especially in um jewelry, you know, jewelry is one of um, you know, India's. Just world renowned for its elaborate jewelry and, um, and you bring that old world sensibility, but with a, you know, a modern twist. On it. So you can definitely say this, you can see the origins of it, but it's so fresh. And I know Susan helps you with a lot of the stone color combinations, which are just exquisite. And then you took your own love of different things like the um, arts and crafts movement or, or um, a Japanese sensibility. And, and you've expressed that in the jewelry. Like you're the newest things that I've seen or recently seen is like the, the cosmos which has a very, to me, Japanese sensibility, very um, clean. And so how did, you know, so what was the progression of all of that, I guess? Because I guess in the, initially you would do the things that you were most familiar with, were which were the designs of your culture.
5: And uh, uh, that, uh, most of the uh, jewelry we make in India is basically uh, what do you call, most of it's uh, like, uh, how do I... Um, trying to find the right technical term it might be called sweat soldering maybe that might be the right term but we use uh, for almost everything we use bezel setting Mm -hmm. we rarely rarely ever use uh, prong setting so for me uh, actually believe it or not uh, I can set a bezel uh, in uh, in like believe it or not in like 15 seconds flat while a prong will take me probably five minutes (laughs) so that's why I'm very comfortable with uh, with bezel setting uh so what happened was uh because everything in our culture the designing is so complicated to tell you the truth uh uh, uh when i went i went to a Seventh day adventist school in india uh for my uh, you know when i was uh, you know in my primary and my secondary school and uh in the art class that's what they used to teach us is to draw intricate patterns, free form. So we used to take a page and fold it and then do matching stuff on each side. And that's how jewelry is made. Basically, there is, you know, what do you call a balance to each one of them. So basically, how do I say? The art form in India is symmetry. So that's what it is. So everything is symmetrical. And a lot of, of, what do you call, how do I say, Uh, intricate designs, so, uh, like uh, any intricacy uh, is actually appreciated. While if you go towards some, uh, like uh, any like straight lines, and they say ah, it's a very simple piece. And uh, so, uh, what happened was when I came here, uh, there were two reasons I actually shifted towards the more uh, modern and more contemporary. Uh, uh, what do you call design aspects of jewelry? One was because I just fell in love with Frank Lloyd Wright's homes, <laughs> so I actually went and visited. Uh, uh, I visited uh, uh, three of his homes. Yeah, th- three of his homes. Yeah, uh, the one in uh, in Chicago, one in uh, Scottsdale, and then the f- uh, Falling Waters. So I visited. Mm-hmm. So. But the first one I visited was actually uh, the Oak Park one in this uh, in Chicago. And oh, my God, when I saw that, I just said such a, the simple, it's just the simple, the simplicity of the concept itself pulled me towards it. So, you know, it's like, you know, how, how opposites ext- uh, uh, attract. Yeah, so it was like, you know, all this intricate design and then immediately you see at the simplicity of the design and then you you see the beauty of it and I was just attracted to it and then the second part was it was that I could actually make more jewelry <laughs> doing the simpler pieces <laughs> than doing yeah. the intricate pieces and I could make it affordable and make a little because when I did the jewelry it was really not so much for money but also something to you know share right. but then so- as as you know we I grew older, we needed the money. So I said, okay, we need a little extra money. So I needed to make it more simpler. So it all fell into place. So again, like I said, you know how I said, the universe plays a role into that. So somehow I ended up at Frank Lloyd Wright's home so that I could switch over to the simpler designs. (laughs) You know, just love it.
0: You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM
2: did Susan work with you from the beginning how did her her color play
5: come into things she always did the color always and I had a a, like a a block I mean I I did it for like eight or nine years and then I actually almost means I could not my mind stopped working for design so I actually was about to quit Uh, and then you know of course Abby found out Mm -hmm. and then you know They called me and said, you can't quit. Ask Susan to help you design. So Susan started designing after that. And she does this really weird sketches. Uh, She's not a good (laughs) sketcher.
2: (laughs) But I actually
5: know exactly what she wants. And Larry, you wanted to say something?
0: Oh, I was going to ask you, do you have any, like, favorite stones? I was looking at – while you were talking, I was also looking at your website and the Facebook page. Do you have any any favorite stones you like to build your uh, jewelry around? Uh...
5: Oh, God, yes. And actually, I've got a stone – uh i wish i would have taken it out so i could show you it is uh, a, a, a it's called agatized coral which i got a singular piece and uh i just keep it i'm never i'm never gonna make a piece of jewelry it's just <laughs> it, it looks like a stained glass window it is small i will send you a picture of it with some light in it you know you can oh my god but my favorite stones of all times has been labradorite yeah. which is kind of weird it, it like it just has so many colors and it is just amazing but it, it's, it's an internal
2: it's an internal color you know it's yes. like it, it has the appearance of being sometimes a dull gray but if you look beneath that surface oh my gosh
5: it 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 is it is it's sometimes blues but uh, but in the labradorite I, I, I really like the blues now my second favorite stone has is azurite because we went to the Smithsonian and uh, I actually uh, bought a small piece of azurite. Then I found uh, a, a person who actually mines his own uh, azurite and chrysocola from and, uh, from Peru, South America and bought a bunch of it from them. I wish I could really show it to you. I just love stones. Actually, I go crazy when I see stones. I I probably have... Please don't take this as a bragging thing. It's just because I'm crazy. (laughs) I probably have twelve to 15,000 stones I've collected over 20 years. And it will take me probably five lifetimes to make all of the (laughs) stones. So I don't think so. I, I just go. What happens is when I see certain stones, I cannot stop from buying it.
2: Well, they call so. to you. They actually call to you, I believe. And yes. and it might not be for something that is not meant for right now, but maybe 10 years from now is when yeah. you're supposed to use it. But yeah, I understand that. I have the same, <laughs> I have that same uh, stone attraction. Uh,
0: so yep. how, I was going to ask you how um, the whole pandemic has affected you. That's something we've been asking our guests. Has it, first of all, had any influence on your creativity, either positive or negative? And also personally, how has that affected
5: you? 2019 uh no 2020 was a little tough because uh, you know of course we uh, we all of our shows were canceled and we did, did we take we did take a financial hit but you know i i believed in like i said i believe this is god god didn't want me to make any more money th- that year <laughs> so i said okay uh you know the god wants me to rest you know so i rested uh but it did cause a lot of you know you know you know uh, you know, uh Always, you know, uh, afraid of the unknown sort of, you know, whether we will get COVID or not. And we were very careful. We got the vaccine and all of that. But even then, you know, you never know. So uh, pers- uh, personally, we did lose a lot of friends. I actually lost three of my uh, like family members uh, mm-hmm. th- uh, at the beginning of this year uh, in India, uh, that second uh, wave. But, uh, my, my, my mom's youngest, youngest brother, my first cousin, and then a, a nephew within five days of each other. And so, so for me, uh, COVID has, uh, sort of made me realize how much we need to care for each other, you know, uh, you know, no, and, and especially artists, you know, we need to, uh, not only be supportive of each other, but, you know, really care for each other so that's what it is so it has it has been really a positive for me in a sense uh personally i mean i would say spiritually in that sense
0: and the follow-up to that what are you looking forward to after we get out the other side of this pandemic uh,
5: I, I always uh, i've always been a positive person i uh i don't know why i'm like this uh believe it or not i'm not afraid of anything when i say i was stressed out about uh, how it's going to affect us i was not afraid for me I was afraid for my, you know, my, my child and my, you know, Susan, but I always believe that, uh, y- you know, uh, how do I say, you know, when you, are, uh, when you are, uh, bodybuilding uh, and you're uh, lifting heavy weights, you know, uh, a lot of your muscle cells are destroyed while you're doing that. But that, that destruction actually makes your body works harder. And it, makes, it, it actually makes more muscles and you become stronger. So I think uh, from that perspective, yes, COVID has hit us. And, you know, yes, it looks very, you know, uh, bleak. But human, humans have survived some of the worst things, uh, you know. and And the key is as long as we love each other and respect each other's opinions and not fight between each other, we will be totally be fine. We'll all be fine on the other side. That's what I believe. <laughs>
0: That's a beautiful sentiment. I, I, I'm very happy to hear that. Is there any unexplored jewelry you haven't made that you're wanting to make?
5: Well, I am. Uh, I started making a gold and silver combination, and it's. I, I just love what you call how uh, gold and silver uh, uh, look together. I, actually, what happened was uh, uh, this again was because of. Uh, 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 you know, I, I display my work at the Fort Wayne Museum of Art. Museum of Art, and uh, uh, the gold was was a little, uh, you know, economically for us, it was a little difficult to make. So then I I said, you know what? Let us do silver and gold together. And so that's what I started, and I really love it. Uh, the next step is to actually uh, start coloring. Uh, not coloring means uh, oxidizing the silver, and doing other stuff. So uh, how do I say? I'm always, always like I said, very curious. So I always try to do. I means every year, I, I, I actually to tell you, I'm, I'm so excited sometimes that when I'm doing that, I sound like a child, you know. <laughs> so next, next, what do you call experimentation? Will be actually making sculptural, carved pieces in silver and layered pieces. That is the, that is my new endeavor. So I, I don't know yet. I already did two or three pieces, but uh, we'll see.
2: Are you doing any outdoor markets, Stephen, for the holidays? Or
5: last, uh, like last Saturday, was our last one outdoor one. We uh, that the uh, the Monument Circle art show, but it rained out. So, but we did not not as good as we we did normally, but we did do good. But uh, the next art show will be in uh, Lansing, Michigan. It's uh, you know the uh, Michigan State University. And then I do a fundraiser for United Way, which is actually one of my biggest shows. So I'm actually, you know, getting precious and semi-precious stones. And Larry, that is my specialty. I can get stones at prizes. can't even imagine.
0: Excellent. Well, real quickly, we're about ready to wrap up. Tell us how people can find your work, uh, website, Facebook, and other things, Stephen.
5: At present, I'm on the website at what you call at uh, sandmartindesigns.com. But also, you know, like if they contact me and say they want a special piece or any color, they can actually email me direct from there. And I can, uh, if I don't have it, I'll make it for them. And I don't charge anything extra for that. And then uh, like uh, almost a, a b- basically, uh, I just did uh, finished a course on uh, Rhino Gold so I can even do cast pieces. Uh, but I, uh, on Rhino Gold, I'm just doing like gold work, not silver, because it's cost, yes. Uh, but then uh, the Fort Wayne Museum of Art, Actually, the Lubesnik uh, Center uh, is also where my work sells, but I, I, they have not contacted me for some time. So I don't know wh- wh- if they need anything. And of course, the nest, you know, <laughs> the nest, which will be actually I just finished uh, doing it today. So we'll be mailing the tomorrow at the nest.
0: We really appreciate you coming on Art in the Air. That's Stephen Shake of Sam Martin Designs. And uh, you can see some of the things at Lebesnik and The Nest, uh, one that's going to be open. Stephen, thank you so much for sharing your art with us on Art in the Air.
5: Thank
2: you thank so you much, Larry. Thank you,
0: Stephen. Yeah.
2: Thanks, Stephen.
0: You've been listening to Art in the Air, and we'd like to thank our guests this week We're on WVLP 103.1 FM and Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, our weekly program covering arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art in the Air is heard every Friday at 11 a.m. and rebroadcast Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP. Art in the Air streams live at wvlp.org and is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Plus is also heard on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM every Sunday at 7 p.m. Also streaming live at lakeshorepublicradio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Thanks again to Greg Kovach, WVLP Station Manager, and Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant and the National Endowment for the Arts. Underwriters for Art in the Air Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments and Mary LeVann, Arts Patron. Art in the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art in the Air... Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. We have information on our website at breck.com slash AOTA. You can find out support information there. So don't just be an Art on the Air listener. Become a supporter or underwriter in whatever amount you're able to do so. So we continue to bring you this great content and this great local programming. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash A-O-T-A. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash A-O-T-A. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews.
1: And show the world your heart. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart. Express yourself, you are, and show the world you are.